and welcome to Undercover Dad, a podcast that looks at 1970s Detroit through the experiences of an undercover ATF agent. I'm your host, Joe Vince, and assistant editor with Officer Magazine. This podcast is a time capsule that provides a snapshot of what it was like to be in law enforcement and work undercover in a major U.S. city over 50 years ago. We'll see how far police work has come in that time, and if we're doing our job right, we hope you're able to take away a few lessons that you can apply to your work in the field today. This is also a passion project for me because the undercover agent providing those firsthand experiences happens to be my dad, Joe Vince Jr. Back in the 1970s, he was an agent just beginning his nearly 30-year career with the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. They hadn't added explosives to the name yet, working first in Detroit and then in Flint, Michigan. During his time with the agency, he also worked in Omaha, Nebraska, Washington, D.C., Miami, and Chicago. He helped create ATF's Crime Gun Analysis Branch and became its first chief before retiring. Currently, he teaches at Mount St. Mary's University in Emmitsburg, Maryland, and he is also the president of Crime Gun Solutions, a company he co-founded. With the introductions out of the way, let's jump right into things. Before we get started, let's recap what happened last time on Undercover Dad. The podcast had its first guest, Mary Ellen Vince, Joe's wife and undercover mom to me, if you will. Joe and Mary Ellen talked about being a young couple and starting a family against the backdrop of Joe's job as an undercover ATF agent in Detroit. They discussed one particularly emotional and a scary experience when Joe was shot during a raid. If you haven't already, go back and listen to that episode. Otherwise, let's pick up where we left off talking with Mary Ellen. So, Mom, I want to come back um, to, to talking a little bit about uh, the adjustments uh, that, uh, or, or, or I guess, kind of the, the new things that you found um, as, as the wife of a of an undercover agent and um uh, one of the things i want to talk to uh, since dad brought it up was um that sense of um uh, community around other agents families and, and being able to um not just socialize but be able to, to to talk to them about what was going on can can you talk a little bit about that well every time you know we moved that was the hard part too, is that there were different agents, different ways. So you didn't always have the same group of people that surrounded you. Mainly we became very close with some of our neighbors who were there to like help if, you know, dad had long hours or like when you got hurt and my neighbor had to take us to the hospital. And, you know, it was things mm -hmm. like this that you didn't always have you know, the agents who lived in your neighborhood, the bad, the neighbors were always great. Dad always made sure that we were in a place that was safe, that we had good schools. And, you know, so you surrounded yourself with good people and, but they didn't understand the law enforcement part. So you, you did, you know, you kind of clung to those agents' wives who were in the place you were living at the time. And 
you know, even though we may not have become the best of friends, there was a close bond in that they knew what you were feeling, especially as he was on the job longer, you know, things, you know, there were more, there was more realization of what was really going on and they understood what your feelings were and you could talk to them in a way that you couldn't maybe with your neighbors or even some of the family, you know, they, they could understand only to a point. Um, so I think moving though made it more difficult because we kind of, we kept connection with some of the uh, agents' wives, but not all of them. And then, you know, the more you move, the further apart you get with, the, with those people as well. You try to socialize with them, but we also had a life outside of, you know, just socializing with people in law enforcement. So there, it was a mix and it was hard sometimes to juggle the two. And I'm sure, too, as as we got older, as as myself and my sister Kim got older, you know, the that ends up taking up a lot of of your time. Very much. And the your closest friends become the uh, parents of, you know, your your friends. Mm -hmm. So um, it's a it's there's a whole different dynamic going there as well. I know there were some new, uh, uh, I'm not even sure how to put it, just new parts of your life with this and not just uh, I'm talking about uh, the danger, but I, I know one of the things that uh, you've always talked about is um, dad's initial uh, language when he would come <laughs> home after being on the job and, and how that was a, a bit of a shock for you. Well, I grew up in a household growing up that we never heard any bad language whatsoever. And uh, to this day, um, you know, I, I don't like using, you know, language that isn't befitting, I think. And it when dad would come home after being either undercover or working with, I mean, let's face it, you don't talk to the bad guys the same way you would talk to your children or to your wife. But it just becomes habit because you have to, you know, speak their language. So, um, yes, that was one thing that I looked at him and said, oh, no, this is not happening here. And, you know, we had to put a quarter in the jar and <laughs> for every word and, um, you know, you kids didn't have to ever put any money in. I didn't. But boy, your dad could fill it up. And <laughs> he, he learned very quickly that this was going to cost him too. And, you know, and all in all, he wanted to set a good example. So, yes, that was one area that we were pretty strict about. I, well, it, it's funny is that I don't recall that. Or I don't recall him having really bad language at all. So I, I know at least the, <laughs> at, the, at the point I started um, listening and, and hearing things that that wasn't the case. And um, w was it hard, Dad, for you to to kind of switch on and off uh, back and forth from work? You know, I don't think it was that difficult, uh, but you slip and mm -hmm. you get lax. And the other thing, too, when you're working long hours, and, and, and this is a problem I I, I really preach a lot about 
because there's a lot of sleep deprivation in, in policing work because of the long hours, not only from the shift work, but then going to court and certainly doing all the paperwork that's required. So uh, you, you slip when you get tired and, you know, or you're on the phone with somebody and, uh, but no, I, I don't think it's that difficult. Uh, certainly it's not something I would do in the courtroom. Uh, it's not something, you know, I, I that, that would be appropriate uh, when we went out and, and things along that line. So when, as a child, um, I mean, I understood that you had long hours and, um, you know, that you, your schedule wasn't nine to five. Um, but at the same time, um, I know that you, you know, even if it was um, coming to a game in, in your, in your suit and straight from work, you were still able to do that. You were still able to, um, uh, you know, coach and, or, or um, help with the, uh, Cub Scouts, things like that. Um, how were the two of you able to kind of work together, um, you know, to to create, and I'll, I'll, if people could see me, I'd be using air quotes right now, a normal um, household that, um, you know, you didn't you didn't, as a child, I didn't see it as, as, as anything different. Well, I, I'm going to start first by, I, I think we made definite decisions in that to keep some stability. Um, I chose to be a stay-at-home mom. Those were the best years of my life. Oh my gosh, I went and have traded that for the world. But it, a lot of it was, yeah, I had a degree and I could have gone to work and probably, you know, made things a little bit easier money-wise even, or, but that wasn't the importance. We knew the importance was a stable family life. When your dad was home, he gave it his all. I mean, everything, you know, learning to, you know, uh, playing with, with the kid, you kids, um, I had to learn to play basketball and baseball just to, you know, step in when dad wasn't there. But when he was there, he was all in. And, you know, it was a total decision that because we moved as often as, you know, we did and we needed some type of stable place in in the family so that you kids had a routine. Somebody was always there. Um, and because family, you know, close extended family, you know, we lived so far away from anyone that and uh, it, it was important. I think the other thing that helped is the fact that I was able to start my federal career at a young age, which then allowed the fact that when you children were getting of the age where you were playing little league and, and softball or whatever, that I was then getting into supervision, which gave me an, an opportunity to do those other things because uh, I didn't have to work on the weekends as much as I did when I had investigations or or I was uh, working undercover and and of course the nights and and so I could do those other things. So that that worked out well too. Once your dad was in a supervisory position, I remember the one move when your sister said, mom, did dad lose his job? Cause he's home at six o'clock. 
<laughs> and, you know, it was that that was probably a big step. Did he still go, you know, working at night sometimes? Absolutely. But not to the extent as when he was doing those intense, you know, investigations. And uh, but and he was home a lot more and could do even more than he did before. Now, Dad, um, refresh my memory here. There was something we had talked about in an earlier episode, or, or you and I have talked about uh, maybe offline, um, about after um, a certain big case that you had done, you had said, all right, I'm going to take it easy. But then another one kind of rolled in. And um, can you give me a little background on that? Yes, I, I think on one investigation in Flint, Michigan, we worked, I would have to say, a good three months, almost around the clock on this case. And it was a, it was a major investigation. As I recall, we had like 22 or 24 search warrants. We collected over, uh, and, and back then, a million dollars was a lot more than it is today, but was uh, literally the, the police department had to rent a warehouse to store the stolen goods that we had, that we recovered, including uh, a lot of body part, uh, car parts and body, uh, car bodies, uh, as well as heavy equipment, backhoes, dump trucks, uh, other vehicles. So they had to uh, expand their impound lot to, to cover all that. Uh, and, and as well as firearms and narcotics, so it, it was a it was a huge major investigation, and it, you know really I wanted to have the rest. It it was mm -hmm. tough, but when an informant calls and says, you know I've got a guy that's got a bunch of of uh, dynamite he's trying to sell that he stole from the Alaska pipeline, you, you have no choice but but to act. And your mother knew that, and uh, it, it that case didn't take that long. But again, you know, you had to respond. And I think what a lot of people don't understand because of what they see on TV is the fact that, okay, you respond, you're doing the investigative actions that are required, but there's a ton of paperwork that is required after that. And, and you can't let that slip away because people are going to court and that has to be done. And you're putting people in jail, so you have to do uh, the fingerprinting, the personal history, as well as taking care of making sure they're secured in the jail and, and those kind of things. So uh, that's enormous amount of activity that goes on, and it, it can't wait. And so you face that beyond what the investigation you have to do. And that's what I think a lot of people don't understand and how much is required of that and how proficient that has to be. Because if your reports are poorly written, six months, two years from now, some defense attorney is really going to use that against you in court and make you look silly. So it's it's really paramount that, that those are done and done well. Mom, did that ever um, frustrate you? Not uh, because of, of dad's actions so much as just the situation of it, knowing what you have said about, you, you know, you understand the job. But at the same time, you, you know, you can't help but feel like, oh, when is this going to end? When is, you know, when can we at least have a little bit of, of slow time? Well, honestly, yes, there were times when um, there may have been things that I would have liked to gotten involved in, but um, it wasn't possible 
because, you know, at that time, that was when there were just two of you that have two little children and not really, you know, you're just moving into a place. You really didn't know that many people around. You wanted to become involved, but it was very difficult. And then it was like, oh, so I, I did get friendly with neighbors. It forced me to become more independent and outgoing. I was very shy, quiet. I know there are a lot of people in my family that won't believe that now, but kept a lot to myself, but it did, it, it was good for me. It made me grow up very quickly and it made me, you know, do things that maybe I would never have done otherwise. And, but the, you know, the bottom line is I think what it taught me more than anything is that never take each other or our lives for granted. You just, you just, it, it, that was, a, it was a powerful lesson that when dad left in the morning or sometimes in the middle of the yeah. night, um, you know, always be appreciative and count it as a blessing of what you have and, and to treat each other that way. So, you know, a lot of frustration sometimes when I did go out and you kids would say, oh, dad's babysitting. I'd go, no, he isn't. He's just being your dad. <laughs> they were, you know, so, but no, it, there have been a lot of good that's come out of a life like this as well. Joe, I want to put something in a, a little different perspective too, that we have now. When your mom and I watch the nightly news and we see parents that are on interviewed on tv who have just lost a son or daughter to a senseless shooting and they're calling for justice for their child and both of us feel that that that's the reason we have law enforcement hopefully to prevent those things from happening first of all but after that bringing justice uh, two victims. I, I think it's so important in society that, that we really need to have. And it's the people in law enforcement that do that. You can find the Undercover Dad podcast at Podbean, Apple, and Spotify. And while you're doing that, also check out Officer Magazine's new Officer Roll Call podcast. Stay safe and see you next time.